Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Gabriella. I'm standing in for Joanna today, and I'm very lucky today um, to be talking to Gabriella Georges, who is a uh, writer, musician, creative grief guide, and founder of The Grief Cocoon, and we're going to be exploring the unexpected sources of grief. Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, it's good to meet you too. Um, very excited um, about our talk today. I think it's um, really important. But before we do get started here, um, I'd like, love to learn a little bit more about who you are. Um, so do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. So um, I'm Gabriella and I, I'm a creative, I guess, at heart. I um, write poetry, I play music and perform and um yeah, when I was about 20, well, yeah, when I was 20, um, I experienced the loss of my mom, sadly. And so um, that kind of set off a whole range of different sort of shifts and changes in my life. And that kind of led me eventually to working in the grief space and working with other people who have experienced loss. And um, that's why I do the work that I do. And I really believe in the power of using creativity as a way to process and um, process experiences and also like express yourself so that you can kind of move through things. Mm -hmm. That's the way that I've processed my grief. And um, so now I, I run a lot of creative writing workshops and work with others around how they can process and, you know, explore grief. I think that grief is something that we we talk about we think is you know a normal thing but it, it's something that we also avoid mm. talking about we're just like oh, okay they're a bit sad but you know they'll be fine I guess next week so I think it's but you know we we don't have I guess um ways that we deal with it a lot so mm. I'm very excited to be talking about this and bringing this to light a bit more because I think that's a really great topic um but before we do, we're also going to get to know you through some of your favorite things in a section we call, Have You Met Gabriella? Um, so the first thing we'd like to know is, uh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word book? Uh, I think about The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, mm -hmm. and that's my sort of, my favorite that I've read. I don't often read books more than once, but um, that's like my go-to if I'm struggling with something. There's kind of, each chapter is about a different I guess, aspect of life. And so like, if I need some wisdom or guidance, I go back to that book. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually fictional, which like, I usually can't get through a fictional book, but uh -huh. um, it's kind of written in a way that's very um, I uh, non-fictional. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy kind of going back to that and learning about, you know, how I can deal with things. Yeah. yeah. It's not often, I think that... Um you read a book where you're like, oh, I want to keep this book as a reference book to guide me through my life. So that's mm. really interesting to hear that that's, that's a book for you. So I'll have to take a look at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what about for movies? To be honest, I'm not much of a movie person. Mm -hmm. I only go to the movies when someone invites me and then I often fall asleep during movies, so, which is not great. Um, but there are some uh, in the past few years since I've been doing events, I actually have learned about different like movies that great animations. And mm -hmm. one of them, I couldn't decide there's either Soul or Coco, mm -hmm. um, but Soul is more about like it's really imaginative, imaginative and it kind of goes into, you know, this musician who just falls into a hole and dies and then he goes into the afterlife and the afterlife is just like this magical place <laughs> and it's really like really cool with lots of different characters um so I really love that mm -hmm. that movie and then also Coco which um is I think 
the family and the character in it is Mexican and it and it goes through like the Day of the Dead and this boy also like ends up um, meeting his kind of family members that are on the other side and cool. it, I guess it kind of also has that theme of like afterlife and death and, and but then it goes into like rituals and he um, connects with his grandma who's just this very old like wise woman and um, I think those two are really kind of great movies to watch if you you kind of want to like yeah think about things but it's not it's also very entertaining and very like easy to watch and it's Mm. yeah yeah because I mean obviously grief and death are very heavy subjects Mm. but I guess because they're they are made with children in mind um they're going to still deal with the subject you know with sensitivity but you know maybe bring something uplifting into it as well yeah, that's yeah. why I really love those animations, yeah. Yeah, I've seen Soul and it was really good. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, Coco is one that kind of slipped by me, so I'm going to have to watch that because mm. um, I do love I do love the afterlife, actually. <laughs> have you and, been there already? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I just, I just love those types of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what about for a podcast? Do you listen to any? I do, I do. There's some that I listen to, like, I guess regularly and then mm-hmm. there's others that I kind of might be recommended to me and so I might like have a listen. Ones that I listen to regularly are um, Diary of a CEO and mm-hmm. um, it's kind of, it might not be what people expect but actually the host is a CEO and um, but he ends up talking to diff- people from different industries like sports people, m- musicians, he talks to actual like business people and it's weird like because you think it's more about um, – success how how to be successful but often what comes up is like real themes of loss and grief and and difficult moments in people's lives and how they've dealt with it so it's like actually quite it goes quite deep um the trailers kind of make it look very superficial but it's really um a really interesting uh, podcast to listen to um and then also on being uh, which it hasn't been as active lately but i think it's based in the u.s and it's more of um they also talk to like researchers and poets and and different people doing interesting things. And they talk a lot about, um, it ends up being kind of more, I guess, spiritual in the way that they talk about things. But even, uh, yeah, I just like a lot of people they talk to are very like wise and have um, interesting perspectives about like even life and the environment and then like poetry. And yeah, so that those two are kind of probably my favorite my okay. favorites. Yeah. I love how every week um, I get to learn about new podcasts because I feel like there are so many podcasts out there that, um, I mean, I feel like I listen to a lot of podcasts, but mm. there are so many more out there that I've never heard of. And yeah. I'm going to have a never ending podcast listening list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So thank you for sharing that. All right. Um, and do you have a famous role model? That one was, I, I it's a bit tricky because yeah. I don't really... Or do you have a role model maybe who isn't famous? Yeah. Well, actually, I kind of I tried to really think about this and there are people that I look up to that I guess are more, but they're not necessarily all alive. You know, um, there's <laughs> one like I love um, Maya Angelou, mm-hmm. who is a, I guess she's so many things, but she was a poet and activist and just a really kind of um, strong role model I think and and the ways like she wrote about her life and when it comes to books actually one of her books is one of my favorites called um the heart of a woman I think um and so that just it's her story and it talks about like um what she did and how she went about things and being a mom and being a woman like it's really um amazing the things that she she did and her courage, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's all about, I guess, courage. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I love, I love Maya Angelou. And um, in terms of like role models that are not famous, my mom, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who is always like inspiring me, you know, even from the, I guess I was going to say from the other side. <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, if you believe, I, I do believe that life goes on after death, after death. So um, yeah, my, my mom and my sisters as well. I've mm-hmm. got three older sisters, so yeah. Um, your mum must be um, certainly uh, very, um, she must have left a great impression on you to still be, um, you know, yeah. uh, be such a huge role model in your life now. So um, 
yeah, maybe we'll talk a bit more about mm. her if you don't mind a bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And our last question that I'd like to know um, is, um, have you, have, has there been any interesting courses that you've completed or anything that has inspired you? Uh, yeah. So there's been a few. I, my undergrad was in psychology and mm -hmm. even though I didn't, I finished it, but I didn't want to be a psychologist at the end, but it kind of is very relevant to the work that I do still. Um, and then also I think the course that kind of I was able to really delve into my interests and passions was like the, I did a master's of community sorry, of arts, a master's of arts and community practice. And in that I was able to write a thesis about like the impact of um, poetry, performance and community on grief and loss. Mm -hmm. And it was through um, the method of like autoethnography where it's like looking, researching through your own experience. And so I was able to write about like my work and it was practice based. So um, that was really cool. And apart from that, like I've done just some fun ones like um, sensory clay and <laughs> different things that, you know, movement. I love mm -hmm. um, kind of exploring things through movement and improvisation. So I've done like I've worked with different people around like um, movement and improvised performance. And that really interests me because it's sort of a whole different way of experiencing something you know, and performing. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, and your thesis sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've been sort of prompted to do a PhD mm -hmm. after to kind of build on that. But um, yeah, I'm just not sure if I'm ready for that commitment. But yeah, it was really great to be able to like really hone in on that and see what others have done in the space. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. So our podcast is about resilience. Um, so first of all, we'd like to ask, why is resilience important in our life? I think resilience is important because, and for me, I guess resilience is about bouncing back from experiences and adversity. And I think it's important because no one on earth can really avoid uh, challenging experiences and even, you know, grief and loss um, they're always going to be a part of life and they're a normal part of life. And so I think because adversity is just a natural thing that happens when mm -hmm. you are alive, it's really important to, I guess, learn how to deal with that and to be able to get back up after something that might um, bring you down. Mm. So would you say that Resilience isn't being immune to adversity and these problems, but it's just the ability to come back from them. Yeah, I guess how would you define immune? Do you have a definition? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean, I originally thought that being immune meant you just weren't affected by something. Um, mm. Like I thought I was immune to chickenpox because I had the chickenpox vaccine. Turns out I was not. <laughs> And I got chicken box. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think actually I think immune is like kind of protect when you're protected mm. against something. It's And it kind of um, I think about like a shield, you know, mm -hmm. having a shield around you. And I think resilience for me, like in my experience and, and perspective, it's not about shielding yourself from adversity. It's more about being able to deal with adversity when it happens. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very hard and almost impossible to really shield yourself yeah. from anything bad happening, you know. So I think it's more about uh, can you can you find a way to to come back and to to build your strength and to process things and to um, deal with things in a way where you know you come back stronger, I guess, because mm -hmm. it's not you don't always you can't always return to what you who you were or how you were before something happens, like especially like losing a loved one, you know, like you're never really the same again. Mm -hmm. But it, when you have some resilience, like you're able to find a way, find a new way to be in the world and find um, a different version of yourself and and redefine what it means to to live and to, to experience mm -hmm. life, you know, without the presence of your loved one. Physically. So, so I guess it's that, in some ways, ability to adapt and change. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's not about 
not experiencing certain things. It's about how you adapt and change with them. Okay, interesting. And yeah, you mentioned grief before. So um, I'd like to start off with like a really strong foundation about what grief is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what is your definition of grief? So my definition of grief is it's a natural response to loss. And I think a lot of people see it as an emotional response. But actually, for me, like when I think about defining it, it's much more than just an emotional response. It's um, a cognitive one. You know, it affects your brain on a physiological level. It affects you physically. Um, It has uh, spiritual impacts, like depending on your, you know, you might start questioning your beliefs or you might strengthen your beliefs. It also um, affects you socially. So like it affects your relationships and your friendships. And so it's a really like multifaceted, I guess it's a multifaceted like response to to loss. And loss can be very like a lot of different things. It's not just about death in the physical sense of a person, but it could be many different kinds of losses. So you said that it can have a physical response and um, not just an emotional response. Um, and so what what kind of, and also a cognitive response? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've only ever conceptualized grief as an emotion. So what, what are those responses? Yeah, so actually um, I have looked into the biology of things and um, what happens when you experience loss and you start grieving is that your body kind of goes into survival mode and your kind of um, primitive aspects of your brain, like your emotional centers, like the amygdala, and I think there's like the hypothalamus, there's a few different regions of your brain that are more primitive and they kind of light up and they get really activated because they see trauma, they see grief as a, as a threat and as a threat to survival. And so the actual executive functioning part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex kind of shuts down for a little bit because um, your brain your is just trying to survive and keep you alive. And so, yeah, so because from what I've read, it's um, grief is seen as an emotional trauma to your, to your brain. So that's kind of the, so because of that, the impacts of it, you know, you, you have difficulty concentrating, you have difficulty making decisions, um, you might have a bit of like fuzziness and fogginess in the brain, you might do things that you, like your memory gets affected. You, wow. Yeah, so you, you forget things that you normally might remember and you do things that are a bit out of character, like some people might, you know, put their keys in the fridge or, you know, just do really like out funny things that you kind of, it's like you've, you're losing your mind a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all um, actually quite normal, especially in the early um, period after a loss, mm-hmm. because yeah, your, your executive functioning is really not happening and you're, you're really in survival mode. So anything that requires a bit more cognitive capacity than ability is um kind of becomes a lot more challenging that's interesting I feel like um especially um I mean we're going to talk about more than just um than just death but I feel like death is a time where you do have to make a lot of decisions and there's a lot of cognitive load that you have to go through and so it's interesting that that's also the time when you lose a lot of that capability yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of have thought about that too because, yeah. you know, when someone dies, it's like, okay, we need to plan a funeral. And then you're you're given all these options of like, okay, what are they going to be cremated? Are they going to be buried? Like, And then if they're going to be buried, like what kind of coffin do you want? What colour? What type of wood? You know, and then where is it going to be? And like... And then, you know, I think people might know when they're in those situations that it's very stressful, you mm. know, because it is true that like you're you're in survival mode and you really don't have much capacity for those kinds of decisions. And so, you know, I know with me as well, like, you know, you might make decisions that are not really the best or what you would decide if you had your, if you were at your normal functioning level. Mm-hmm. So I guess people that because of the way that things are set up and because of the pace of, you know, 
the decisions we have to make at that time. Like it just, um, you might, you, you make it, you make decisions, but they might not necessarily be the best decisions. And <laughs> it's understandable because mm. you're not really in the right state of mind to really make important decisions. So I guess in that case, it's quite important to have like a support network who mm. who can help out with those decisions maybe. Yeah, maybe someone who's a little bit more removed or um, someone who kind of can, yeah, just support you through it and let you know that you're making the be- you're doing the best that you can, you know. Like I've had these conversations with friends as well when their family members have um, died and they've called me and going, what do I do in this situation? And, you know, because I'm not part of the family and mm-hmm. I'm a bit removed, I can kind of give them some advice that may might be helpful um, and because they're they themselves are not really in the best state to mm. do that. Yeah. And so we've talked a bit about death and how that can cause grief, but there are other ways that um, you know, we can um, we can lose something or so so what are some causes of grief? Yeah, so it's not just yep, yeah, the the loss of a loved one and you know physically dying but it might also be a relationship breakdown uh, when you know you've broken up either with a partner or um, even a friend you know some distance like you've kind of there's been a some sort of rupture and and you've lost a friendship it could be estrangement you know when the you know the person's around but you don't have that connection mm-hmm. uh, it could be loss of a job you know, that could also cause grief. It could be when a family member or someone you love is terminally ill and they might be, or even they have like a degenerative disease, you know, like some people, when you when someone has Alzheimer's or dementia, their family might start grieving the person that they were. Uh, and then on the other hand, like it you know, you could also grieve your um, your old self, you know, it, mm. it, which is probably not as commonly talked about. But, you know, you might have had these ideas for what your future might look like or for what who you would be in the future and where you'd be. And if that doesn't come to fruition, you might grieve those dreams that you had and those hopes that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, other ones that are a little bit more obscure is like migration, you know, or mm-hmm when um, people are forced to leave their home and even if they're not forced but they they migrate to a new place they might grieve their homeland you know mm. their home country because um they're in a new environment and so their old life and their old um friendships and and all the things that they had and they might start grieving that so there's so many different ways you know um and then you know yeah so uh, you, so you mentioned migration. So, I mean, some of the the, the saddest that I felt have been when I um, left home um, to go live in France for a year. So it was my first time away from my parents. And, you know, I got homesickness. Yeah. Is homesickness like a form of grief or is am I conflating those two? <laughs> I actually haven't thought about that before, but I would say that homesickness does involve an element of grief because you're you're missing something and you're you're kind of maybe yearning for that you know that home home um, land or relationships family that you have at home so I would say I don't know what the official definition for homesickness is but I would say like just generally knowing what it what it is like that there might be an element of grief it might not be just grief but Mm -hmm. I think you know if you you're missing something then that that is also part of that that's grief yeah Mm. and um yeah I never thought about like relationship breakups as grief as well but I mean it kind of makes sense all of those breakup movies where people are sobbing and then they make these silly life decisions it kind of fits in with what you were saying with people's cognitive impairments um due to grief that's so interesting (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I would recommend not making any major life decisions straight after you've lost, um, a, you know, a, if you've had a breakup or you've lost someone that you love. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good life advice there. <laughs> yeah. mm. So I feel like um, 
you know, the, you know, loss of a loved one, it's, it's easily understood, um, by everyone. You know, if you, um, if you lose a loved one, you get some time off work, people are a bit more understanding when it comes to, um, you know, if you don't stay in touch as much, if you forget a coffee date, but they're not maybe quite as understanding if you break up with someone and then all of a sudden you get AWOL. So that must have a really, like that must have an effect. So how does different types of loss affect how people are perceived and their grief is perceived? Oh, that's a really interesting question because, yeah, there are different perspectives on different losses in society um, based on, I guess, media or based on awareness of those Mm -hmm. losses and based on stigma, Mm -hmm. if there's stigma around those losses. So, you know, certain things, certain losses, you know, there's loss of a loved one, but then there's also different ways that people die and that can affect how someone is how their grief is acknowledged or not Mm. acknowledged. You know, like, for example, if someone um, loses someone through suicide or through addiction or, Mm -hmm. you know, those losses are a little bit more um, stigmatised in society and so people might not get the same support that they would if someone loses someone due to an illness or if there's a car accident or something, you know, there's there's different. And, you know, when it comes to job loss and relationships, um, again, people might not see the significance, you know, and another one is like miscarriage mm. because it's like, oh, well, they weren't born yet, like the baby wasn't born yet. Mm. Just um, try again. Yeah, you can have another baby. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a life, you know. It's 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 kind of diminished, like it's dismissed as not significant. Mm-hmm. But actually, um, those different losses can have very significant impacts on people in ways that people don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess lack of awareness and education in mm-hmm. in society can really mean that people are left alone and isolated um, if their grief isn't kind of respected or acknowledged as significant. So going into my own experience, I um, I felt quite lucky. Um, I've, I've lost some grandparents, but I haven't been particularly close to them. But the one that really surprised me was um, I lost a friend from high school. I hadn't spoken to her in like 10 years. And I felt more sadness for her than I'd felt for my grandparents. And I found that very surprising, actually. I I didn't think that it was going to be so hard on me. I actually had to take some time off from work. Whereas with my grandparents, I think, and my theory is that I was expecting it with the grandparents. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I guess that is it, does things like, you know, expectation also, um, I guess, play a role in, how you feel after you lose someone or you lose something. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you kind of brought up, you know, grandparents and I think losing a grandparent is kind of more, it's not, you know, it's, yeah, it is expected that, you know, Mm. as someone gets older that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's less of a shock, Yeah, I guess, whereas like if you lose someone your age or Mm. someone that you, um, someone that just dies unexpectedly through an accident or through heart attack or something that you weren't expecting that it can have a more it's a bit of it's a, it's more of a shock yeah. and then that might cause a stronger grief reaction mm-hmm. you know it, it's not necessarily no loss is necessarily easy or mm-hmm. you know it's sort of all relative because you know there might be people who are really close with their grandparents mm. and that will have a bigger impact on them because they used to spend a lot of time with them or they were kind of, they guided the person and they were role models, you know, like, so it's, it's very individual and and each loss impacts different people uniquely. Mm -hmm. There's no kind of one way that a specific loss will impact you. So, yeah. Okay. Um, And are there like different types of grief? Um, And like, can you know, is there a normal grief? Is there a normal amount of grief? Um, yeah. Good question. <laughs> uh, there are lots of different types of griefs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I guess it's an interesting question about like what's normal and what's not because I think we have a skewed idea of what's normal because mm-hmm. we just don't hear about real experiences mm-hmm. of grief. So I think, you know, a lot of people might question their own experience and, and feel like, oh, this this is this is not normal, you know, mm-hmm. like um crying too much or it's been too long, I should be over this. But there really is no there's no timeline to grief. So it's it's really about learning how to live with it and how to integrate it into your life. And um in terms of different types of grief, you know, I can, there's a lot, I won't go through all of them, but there's a few that might be, um, I guess, more common for mm-hmm. people. And for example, like I talked about having someone, losing someone with a terminal illness or, you know, kind of maybe even caring for someone with a terminal illness, there might be um, anticipatory grief. And that's mm-hmm. grief that comes up when you're Someone hasn't necessarily died or you haven't lost something or someone yet, but you can, you feel, you know, it's coming. And so like when someone's ill or they have dementia or a degenerative disease, you kind of slowly see them deteriorate. And in that process, you, you grieve, you start grieving Mm -hmm. in anticipation of, of their death. And so that's, that's one grief where you kind of start grieving before the what they people consider you know like the death happens mm-hmm. um and then there's also like disenfranchised grief which is a really i really i think that's something that a lot of people deal with but they might not know that they're experiencing it and disenfranchised grief is like when you experience a grief due to a loss that isn't favorably looked upon in society where there is a stigma or there is lack of acknowledgement in society. And like I mentioned before, you know, anything related to um, people dying of suicide or addiction or uh, miscarriage, those are some examples. Or even, you know, being in a relationship that maybe, for example, this is might be a bit controversial, but like being in an affair and then that breaking up, you know, then... Mm. If you are in that situation, like it's it's very um, unlikely that you're going to get the same acknowledgement and support from people because it might not either be seen as significant or if you if you had a complicated relationship with someone and then they you've been estranged for a number of years and then they die, people think, oh well, they weren't that close anyway, so they won't necessarily think that you're that impacted by it but you might still be it might still be a significant loss so disenfranchised grief is a big one I think for mm-hmm. a lot of different people um, and then there's commute commute com- gosh <laughs> getting tongue-tied <laughs> cumulative grief where mm-hmm. um, that's experienced when people have experienced a loss and then while they're grieving that loss they experience another loss mm. and then maybe they might experience another loss on top of that. And so it's kind of like a buildup of losses over time. And the person, it's really hard to try and grieve different losses at the same time. And so they never really quite get to process and and um, grieve a loss before they experience another one. And so that's another kind of grief as well. That's That's recognized as its own grief. So I think those three and yeah there is a lot of others there's like delayed grief and there's um prolonged grief and there's complicated grief but yeah we'd be here for a while (laughs) yeah Mm. I guess um our goal today is to let people know that these different types of grief exist and you know everyone can hopefully um well I think you've got some resources for people um and they can look up um online as well some information and they can find out a bit more about it um but I did also want to ask so you know you you were saying that you um um do some things to help with processing grief so how how do you process grief is it is it necessary to process grief that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) um I think yeah I believe it is important and necessary mm-hmm. to process grief. And there's a few reasons. And because I think actually there are a lot of people who probably think I can just suppress it and avoid it and I'll be fine, you know. Um, 
I, I don't need to pay attention to that right now. Let me just distract myself with like work or with uh, going out and socializing mm-hmm. <laughs> or with just doing other things, you know, and not think about it. But what happens is like if you don't directly, if you don't actually deal with the grief and, and process it when it's there, it'll kind of still be there like it Mm -hmm. doesn't disappear and so it'll come up in other ways and you know that could lead to self-destructive things that you might end up doing like people might start um, drinking more or taking substances or they might kind of um, do things that are not healthy you know and they might not recognize that it's because of the underlying grief you know but a lot of times it is. So I, I work in rehabs as well and I run creative writing workshops in rehabs and the it's really, really common for, for when I talk to people for them to bring up loss and, and grief and trauma and, you know, they might not have even realised that their coping mechanism was drinking or taking drugs but once they get into rehab and have to do that work they realise like, uh, it happened after I lost my dad or it happened um, because I had this breakup. And so it's it's really common and I, I think there's different ways to process it. Like I, I use a whole range of different things, you know, mm-hmm. even though I'm a writer and for me it was really the most kind of powerful tool in the first, the first early years was writing mm-hmm. and until I kind of started sharing my poetry and music and I used to write about my mom or I used to write to my mom you know and write about the grief and and that was like my way of processing it because I could put things down and out of my head Mm -hmm. and then I could see what I was experiencing on paper Um, but nowadays like I've I've done a lot of spending time in nature I've gone for walks hikes I've gotten into running I do sometimes cooking if I'm feeling really sad, like cooking brings me a lot of comfort and mm-hmm. it's um, a way that I process grief. Uh, I might kind of connect with someone that I like, that I li- like spending time with, a good friend and, you know, sometimes might talk about it but we might talk about other stuff as well. It's just like uh, different tools, I think, you know, but exercise, spending time in nature, journaling, if you're into that, um, those are some ways that you can process grief, you know. And if you're a, a talker and you like to process things through talking, then <laughs> finding someone who'll listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it could be a professional, a, a therapist or a counsellor, but it could also be a good friend, mm-hmm. you know, or family member. And how do you go about, you know, finding the best way for you? Well, by trying different uh-huh. things okay. and seeing what works. Yeah, there's no kind of like magic way to just instantly know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's more about trial and error. Mm-hmm. That's what I've found to be like the best way just to try different things and see what works for you. And so, yeah, for some people it might be getting being more physical and moving their body, going out for walks. Um, yeah, so it's really just about trying and making notes maybe of like I actually did that recently like after a breakup. I I sort of gave, put, put myself into an experiment and I, I started writing down all the things I was doing to process the grief and then rating them <laughs> out of 10. <laughs> And, um, yeah, it was really cool because I had, like, I don't know, 10 different things on there and I rated how effective they were in, in you know, processing the sadness and it was kind of more about, like, did they did they make me feel better, you know, mm-hmm. or not, you know, and some of, it, some of it was just, like, crying, you know. Uh-huh. How does crying affect, affect you if you're feeling sad? Mm-hmm. And usually I find, like, you know, people think crying is a bad thing, but I really love it because I feel like once you've had a really good cry, you feel so much lighter and you feel usually come out of it and just you feel better, you know, like you've released some or a lot of emotions and you've released that energy. Yeah. Yeah, So I don't know. So, um, 
when it when you know I, I don't know if this is an impression I've gotten from watching TV or if it's something that I've somehow internalized but sometimes it seems like some of those coping mechanisms you know writing sad poetry listening to sad music it seems to be wallowing in the sadness and the grief would you say that that's completely incorrect and you can't wallow in it or would you say that there are sometimes where that's true and sometimes when it's false and how how do you tell if that's the case yeah I think for a period, you know, like it's, I think it's okay to wallow in it sometimes and then to do, so like there, there's actually a theory, um, a, it's called the dual processing model, I believe. And, and it's actually about recognizing that, you know, you need two aspects, two things in your life when you, after a loss, mm-hmm. one is directly addressing the loss and, and processing it. Mm-hmm. And the other is indirectly like doing things unrelated to the loss Mm -hmm. and and it's about finding the balance between like um dealing with the loss directly and then finding adapting and finding new ways to do things and redefining yourself and redefining your relationships and so it's sort of a back and forth between Mm -hmm. uh between processing the loss directly and maybe doing that wallowing you know (laughs) that that's part of processing it because you can't move through it unless you feel it Mm -hmm. unless Mm -hmm. you allow yourself to feel it and like I said like crying feeling sad listening to sad music that's part of the process you know and uh it's okay to do that Mm -hmm. you know and then but as long as you kind of eventually start to like look at different things and and maybe do things that are not wallowing but it's more like okay like what am I going to do now like what what does my life look like now that this has happened you know so it's sort of looking back and looking forward those two things go together interesting interesting um yeah I think um I don't know, in movies and things, they're always like, you have to snap out of it and you've got to <laughs> move forward. And yeah, I guess what you're saying is that you, you do have to do a bit of that, but you also, it's fine to, yeah, cry and watch sad movies and do all those things. I think, and I think that's great because I mean, obviously there's a reason why we do those things and we feel like doing those things. And that's because, you know, that's how we heal and that's how we um, bounce back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's just... Uh, that's mm-hmm. part of the process. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we can't be happy all the time or positive all the time, mm-hmm. you know. Like I know there is like the kind of toxic positivity in mm. some circles where it's like, oh, no, don't be sad, you know. you got to think positive thoughts mm-hmm. and you'll be fine. But um, it doesn't really work that way yeah. <laughs> with grief. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's great. And watching movies, you know, is kind of like, and hearing other people's experiences, listening to podcasts, actually that, you know, is not only just, it's not wallowing in, in a lot of ways, like it's it's also learning about how others deal with grief. Mm. And this is what I've, I guess, learned and researched, you know, that by listening, hearing other people's stories or seeing other people deal with grief, you can learn how to deal with grief in uh-huh. your own life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, and, but it's fine to cr- have crying sessions, you know, like go for it, cry, <laughs> you know, if, you know, especially early on, sometimes that's all you can do mm-hmm. after you've lost someone really close to you. Like you don't really have capacity to do, to move forward, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's, it's really, you've just got to give yourself some time to grieve and to be in that sadness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And certainly don't make any big life decisions yeah. then. <laughs> Yeah, don't move country yet, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Was there anything um, that we haven't touched on that you wanted wanted to discuss here? Uh, I think maybe about change. Like mm-hmm. that's been on my mind a bit where yeah. I think, you know, grief and loss is a really life-changing thing. Mm-hmm. And I find that a lot of times people struggle because they resist change and they don't want change you know like they just want things to go back to how they were or they just want to yeah they just want to rewind the clock and and go back to who they were and how they were and how things were before the loss but I just wanted I guess share that you know 
one way to look at it is that maybe the the the, the change that you're feeling within yourself and and in your life after a loss is maybe also a parting gift like from the the person or thing you've lost you know and maybe that's also part of the journey and and maybe through that you can actually grow and and learn to learn what matters and and actually learn to live a better life mm-hmm. you know because i know like when my mom died it's like everything fell you know it just felt like everything fell away and all the things i thought i was stressing about that i thought were like really important you know i realized most of 99% of what i was stressing about was like just so trivial you know mm-hmm. that i realized like oh, okay there's only really a few things that are important in life and now even though it's been so many years like i still kind of take those lessons with me and i really live based around what's important you know long term rather than like what's what i'm stressed about now mm-hmm. um yeah so i i i don't know i just want to get that message yeah. out it does remind me a little bit of um at the beginning of covid everyone was like i just want it to be go back to normal like how it was before and then it started becoming um it started looking like we weren't going to go back to how it was before and we're still not back to how it was before. Um, and certainly there are lots of terrible things that have happened, you know, during this whole COVID period. But there are some good things as well. I think a lot of people reassessed where their lives were and have made big decisions. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, have left jobs they didn't like. We work from home a lot more, which I think mm. is great. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's sort of what you're saying, that the change was good in some ways, not obviously all of it, but some of it was good. (laughs) Yeah. And that's one thing I haven't mentioned, like loss of freedom, you know, Mm -hmm. like during COVID, you know, even if you hadn't lost a loved one, I think during COVID, everybody experienced the grief of like losing freedom, Mm -hmm. you know, or losing their health. Yeah. If they did get sick and get, if they did get COVID. So yeah, but yeah, it is, it is kind of like, okay, maybe in the beginning, all you can see is the the bad like yeah. all the the crappy stuff you know and and the um the negative ways it's impacts it impacts your life and i mean living without a loved one in the same way like without their physical presence is really significant and mm. um it's it is hard really hard mm-hmm. to deal with but yeah as as you mentioned like it's also you got to keep some hope you've got to mm-hmm. have some hope and through throughout and you've got to start to find little things that you can be maybe grateful for and and then little lessons along the way and take that with you as you move forward. So we're going to move on to the practice habit debrief section. Okay. Um, So what's something that, you know, you um, have, what's a practice that you've implemented in your own life um, from, you know, your research, your work, or, you know, just your own understanding of grief? Uh, to deal with grief. Yeah, to deal with grief. Oh, there's so many. Uh, one could be uh, journaling. Mm-hmm. So just writing down your thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. in the moment. And it's it's especially good if you're really in the thick of it and you're really feeling intense emotions, just to blurt it out on paper. You know, you mm-hmm. don't need to share it with anyone. <laughs> it could just, just be for you. And, yeah, that's one thing I would I would recommend and if you're not a writer then maybe going for a walk in nature mm-hmm. outside I was going to ask as well what, like what happens if you know um I mean I've certainly written down things in the heat of the moment you know and then I look back and I'm like oh this is terrible <laughs> or even in the moment where I'm like writing down my feelings and then I'm like man this sounds like the worst like you know high school poetry <laughs> um I am so sad yeah <laughs> Like, how do you, um, I guess, stop yourself from feeling embarrassed or like feeling like it's you're actually expressing your feelings? I think it can be really hard to express how you're actually feeling. Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess I can hear like there maybe is an element of shame or something around mm. it. Or, um, but I, I, it is hard not to judge yourself. And I, I think actually self compassion is really important when you're grieving because 
you need to be really patient with yourself and you need to kind of um, recognize that you're dealing with something that's really hard and you don't know what you're doing, you know, like no one knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of times. You're just kind of doing your best to cope. And so it's, it's really not about like producing a, a, a finished poem or song or, uh, you know, this beautiful piece of writing. It's about like capturing the mess and, uh-huh. and uh, not, you know, not worrying about punctuation or grammar, just being really ugly with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just <laughs> at least it's not in your head. And, yeah. and I think, um, yeah, a, a lot of it is about like just writing. Like when I look back at my writing early on, it was like a four-year-old wrote it, you know, like literally I could not express anything more than that. Like mm-hmm. it was just like, I miss mom, you know, um, and really, really primitive, like, um, stuff that I could write. I wasn't writing anything poetic <laughs> or, um, meaning, you know, like that kind of, yeah, mm. I, I wouldn't necessarily share it with others. It's more like for myself, you know, it's, it's just about, and actually writing things down, like you said, when you look back at it, it gives you insights into what your if you can just look at it as a record mm-hmm. of time, like a record of your thoughts and feelings rather than something that needed to be uh, something else, like a finished poem. It's not, that's not, the, the goal isn't to have uh, something beautiful to share. It's more just to record what's happening in the moment and then later when you maybe feel a bit better you can go back and go oh wow I was really struggling there but I've kind of moved through it and now I'm here you know okay so it can also show progress in a way yeah yeah it actually does show your progress yeah okay um and you know would you when would you recommend you do this um like, you know, following a loss, would you say do it every day or just whenever you feel? Yeah, I, I wouldn't put like a particular discipline on it. Like it's just more um, when you feel like it, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's sort of a way of checking in with yourself. I, I think, you know, when you write down what's happening, you check in with yourself and it, or, you know, but if you find it therapeutic, you can write down what's happened in that day. You know, it doesn't always have to be a real kind of vent about emotions <laughs> or, you know it could just be like today was a funeral like you know and then you can write about that um and then that actually gives you yeah another layer of you know kind of capturing what's happening and and what you went through and what actually um was going on physically in like in real terms you know so um yeah if you find it therapeutic you don't know, do it every day or but if, if you really just need it when you're um, feeling really emotional, then you can just do it in those mo- moments. Yeah. Um, I guess it'll, it'll feel right when you're doing it. Yeah. And yeah. another thing, I guess you don't always have to do it inside. Like you mm-hmm. can actually combine some of the things I mentioned. Like you can go outside for a walk and find a place to sit and write, you mm-hmm. know, like you can do it outdoors, mm-hmm. you know. It doesn't have to be like um in your bedroom um you know just like sulking on your bed <laughs> it can be done in other ways okay yeah. so yeah you can you can combine a few of these practices yeah. together yeah okay um so our next section is the questions from the audience um so our first question is uh what is the most unexpected cause of grief that you have encountered i mean if that's too personal for um, oh, you know, for, as for, that I've personally encountered. Well, I think if it's for your, um, the people you've seen or your, yeah. for yourself, if it's too personal, then I think we can skip that question. Yeah, no, I think I don't, I won't mention names, but like uh, I was really surprised about learning that people were experiencing the grief of their former self, mm. which I kind of touched on, but I really didn't think about that as as a, as a, you know, as a grief and a loss, you know, just um, the loss of who they thought they would be or where they thought they would be. I, I didn't really ever consider that as something to focus on, you know. But it really, it does happen, you know, especially if um, 
for example, like if for someone that has ended up being in addiction and they have really changed through that and they don't recognize themselves anymore, um, then, you know, you kind of, when you look back, it's like, oh, I didn't think I would be here, you know, or this is not who I thought I would be. So, um, yeah, that was pretty surprising for me when someone, I asked people like, oh, what kind of, what would you like me to focus on in future events? And someone said, um, maybe, you know, we could ha have a, an event around like grieving your former self. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, like I just did not expect that. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I guess the same, the same methods apply, but um, in some ways it's like how it's, you know, in some ways, you know, maybe you would try and become the former self or you're still trying to become. So it can be harder, I guess, to process that because you still have that feeling that you could you could do it maybe. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe no, that's I just think me it's, it's projecting. More, yeah, I think it's more like when you get to a stage and realize like you can't go mm -hmm. back to that person, like you okay. can't be that person anymore because you're too, you know, you're, you're, you're so different now uh -huh. and, and. Um, that person's not, no longer doesn't exist anymore, you know. So it's kind of that acknowledgement that, uh, yeah, it's not possible to go back to who I was before. Okay. Mm. Um, so our second um, question is: um, Are there common stages or patterns of grief that people go through after experiencing job loss? Um, and um, yeah, so what are the common stages or patterns of grief after job loss? So I know that there's a lot of talk and I guess it's a popular idea to think about the five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. um, but actually f through doing research, I learned that there isn't much evidence for that as, okay. a, as a real experience that, you know, that theory actually came out of working with people who were terminally, terminally ill. Mm -hmm. And so they were dying. And that's what their, the anecdotal kind of pattern was that there was like, um, denial, anger, bargaining. Um, ex ex now that there's a sixth stage, which is acceptance, but mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the other two. But uh, yeah, there actually isn't evidence, real practical evidence, to prove that those are the stages that you go through, or that those are the that's the pattern. So it's actually quite it's very individual. So there, uh, from what I've researched and know, like there isn't a real general pattern that people go through you know I know that like in the beginning it might feel very intense mm -hmm. the the experience of grief might be very um heightened because you are in that survival mode and it's everything is new and you're still like you haven't figured out what it all means um but then you know for some people they say like the second year was worse than the first so it really is um unique to the individual so in terms of job loss and any loss you know the, the, I can't say that there is a particular set pattern that you'll follow unfortunately <laughs> and I guess that's part of the challenge of of grief it's just like people want to know like okay but how long will this last for you know what am I going to experience next you know but it's mm -hmm. it doesn't really <laughs> it's it's just very relative to the person and their relationship to the mm -hmm. loss Okay. Yeah. That was actually our third question was, um, are the stages of grief really a thing? And oh. I think you've answered that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for some, it might be relevant, you know, mm -hmm. but I guess the thing to know, if you do like thinking about grief in stages, then the thing to know about the five stages is that, um, you might, they might not, you might not experience all of them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is like, you might not experience them in order, Mm -hmm. and they or you might experience multiple stages at once you know um and they're not meant to be seen as a prescribed step-by-step -step process mm -hmm. it's actually even like the person the people who came up with them uh sort of say that it's not like the Bible of grief, you know, like, okay, you're going to start with this stage and you're going to go. So um, some people do experience some of the stages, mm. but it's kind of like you can experience any emotion in grief, you know. So like those stages 
like anger and bargaining and denial, like a lot of them are common, mm. but it's not really, there isn't enough evidence to suggest that like that is what people normally experience and that, you know, it's a step stage by stage process. Mm. Yeah. So I guess the most important thing is that whatever someone's experiencing, that's, that's normal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and if it doesn't fit the stages of grief, that's fine. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, there is actually that it's been a bit controversial because not that long ago they um re they established like the diag a diagnosis for, um, for grief. Like I think it's called prolonged grief disorder and it's kind of, they, they kind of have a criteria for like when your grief is not normal, you know, and a lot of people in the field say, well, who's to judge, you know, like who's to judge that, you know, just because you're still experiencing intense emotions after six months that you need medication or that you need to be, um, yeah, prescribed and you need to be diagnosed as like having this abnormal experience of grief, you know, so yeah. it's, it's really, um, it's a bit complex. And I think, you know, if you are not sure, uh, this is kind of touching on what's normal and what's normal, but like if it's, I think it depends on how debilitating it is and how much the grief is affecting your day-to-day um, -day functioning. Mm -hmm. And like any, I guess, disorder or it's more about the impact on your day-to-day -day functioning because like and, and I mean, if people don't, and the other thing is like the society, our society is not uh, really made to support people through the process. It's kind of like, okay, you get a few days off work or a week off and then you're back. And, you know, it's not really enough time, especially if you've lost someone like close to you or if you've lost like even your uh, high school high school friend, it's um you don't know how much a, a loss will impact you. Mm. So... Uh, it's not our, our work life isn't set up to support our grieving process. And so um, it's really hard to say yeah, this is not normal. It's it's kind of I, I just like to validate the different experiences that people have because mm -hmm. it is so individual. Like you and, you know, someone in your family might experience the same loss. Like me and my sisters, for example, all lost our mom at the same time, but mm -hmm. we were different ages. But each one of us responded differently and we had, yeah, unique responses to the loss and we've dealt with it differently now going forward, you know. It means different things. So, uh, yeah, there's no two people that have responded to the same loss in the same way. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> um, so um, we'll move on to the open mic section now. Okay. Uh, so that's where you get to talk about something that you're passionate about. Um, it doesn't have to be related to the topic, but it can be related to the topic. Mm -hmm. Did you have anything in mind that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I... I mean, not coming in, but like I think I could talk about maybe um, the impact of like movement. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> I was thinking about nature as well. Yeah. Like I, I love uh, nature has had a big impact on me, but also like just moving the body yep. as a way to process. Because yeah. I, I mean, um, I've heard, you know, that, um, you know, exercise movement, great for depression and a lot of... Um, those, I guess, mental um, problems. But um, I haven't heard much about it in terms of grief, but it does make sense. Mm. Um, so, yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, so I guess there's it's emotion and motion means movement. <laughs> <laughs> I had never thought about that. <laughs> so I, I found that when I'm feeling emotionally stuck, mm -hmm. I need to move. Okay. My physically move and and that movement actually helps to move the emotion, you know, mm -hmm. um, in a real sense. Like, you know, you, you kind of shift how you're feeling by moving, mm -hmm. by moving physically. <laughs> so like the, the physical kind of mirrors the internal experience. Mm -hmm. And um, there's, there's a really great book about um, it's more centered on trauma, but the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is related to loss as well because mm -hmm. trauma is not like 
it's not the same as grief, but there is a lot of, for a lot of people, there is trauma in loss and they are related. So um, for anyone that wants to like look more into it, The Body Keeps the Score is a really great book for sharing why a lot of talking therapies aren't as effective for for trauma as um, physical, as different physical therapies. So yoga is a great one. Okay. Um, running, although I know I'm a runner, but I know not everyone likes running. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's really good for ner- um, regulating the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And just movement in general boosts your mood and it releases those endorphins um, that make you feel better and it reduces you know your stress and anxiety so Mm -hmm. so many you know it doesn't matter what it is like just moving your body and you know nature also has a a similar like uh, effect and it also calms your nervous system and and so uh, anything yeah related to movement and like it doesn't have to be a choreographed dance you know (laughs) uh, because I'm not really into that but um, it could just be putting on some um, music and and just moving different body parts in like in your own way, you mm-hmm. know. It, it doesn't have to be a particular dance. It, it could just be um, improvised, you know. That's where improvisation comes in. Yeah, so it's really, it's really great for shifting your emotional state, um, you know. Yeah. All right. You'll uh, find me in the park with my <laughs> headphones in, just <laughs> dancing. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, yeah, you go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> processing some grief right here hey i've done that before (laughs) honestly i love it when people like have their headphones in and they're just rocking out wherever they are i have i have so much respect for them Mm. yeah yeah it it does take some courage to do it outside yeah you know but i think once you like zone out and you just close your eyes like no one's there you know Mm -hmm. it's just you yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Mm. Well, thank you so much for um, telling me about that. I'm going to have to give that a go, um, dancing in the park. Yeah. <laughs> have fun. It, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, and thank you for talking to me today. Um, so if people want to find out more about you and more of your work, if they want to get in touch with you, um, how can they do so? Yeah, so I, I'm on Instagram, so either at the Grief Cocoon mm-hmm. or at gab underscore georges and um uh we're on facebook as well under the grief cocoon and on linkedin and um there's also if you want to find like an online community to i guess um connect with people who've experienced loss then you can download the grief cocoon on um, your app store Mm -hmm. and if people want to email me directly they could email me at um, gabriella at the grief cocoon.com and it's gabriella with one l so Mm -hmm. g-a-b-r-i-e-l-a yep yeah don't get it confused with my name yeah (laughs) yeah um and we'll also put those links in um, our show notes so you can make sure you get all the correct spellings there awesome (laughs) great thank you so much for joining me today thanks for having me Yeah. yeah it's fun you have been listening to bouncing back the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the life management science labs Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pr.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna, thanks for tuning in.